Taylor is a young communicator here in Halifax who has decided to run for mayor. Max's campaign has been the creative project of someone who clearly wants to breathe new life into the political orthodoxy of Halifax, where you have only two other people running, and election day rapidly approaching on the 17th. Um, it's also occurred to me that Max could be described as a social media personality. This is how he's described on the Wikipedia page for the uh, current municipal election, but that label seems kind of false to me somehow. In this conversation, he speaks really genuinely about the kind of courage that he's needed to muster to run for mayor, uh, why a lot of people see it as a transparent attempt to gain followers, um, but how those people really don't see the full picture, and why he cares about setting a precedent for more direct participation in politics, especially among young people. The thing that really interests me about your story is just like the convergence of you know, social media, this this use of platforms to kind of raise awareness and the more local, you know, messy question of how local politics happen. Um, you know, I teach communications at the at Mount St. Vincent um, and elsewhere. And so, like, I'm really interested in the ways that social media has sort of placed pressure on uh, established ways of doing politics, basically. And this is something you've, you've talked about a lot. So, like, that was a big, big thing for me that I big reason why I wanted to kind of get you on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, when I, sorry to interrupt, but no, no, it's all good. I'm just thinking, you know, with TikTok specifically, that's where my biggest reach is. Uh, it would be incredibly beneficial to have a large following in Halifax to use for the election to kind of get the numbers up. But because my numbers for Halifax are so like, it's just so abysmal, so tiny on TikTok, it wouldn't really make that much of a difference. So I'm really trying to exploit as much as my Instagram as I can, you know, just trying to get new things going, get Twitter going, trying to get as many things as I can that are new. So although social media, I do know a lot about it. Uh, what I have existing honestly doesn't give me a massive boost besides getting me some CBC articles. Yeah. And I like that about your campaign too, just sort of how frank you are about um, the role that social media is really playing in your campaign. Like, you know, it, it's it's making it part of the conversation. The mayor has said he's not going to get on TikTok just because, you know, you're joining the race yeah, and this kind yeah. of thing. But like, I like how, again, kind of upfront you are in terms of, you know, using this platform to generate attention, right? Um, and turning that attention into higher voter turnout. Um, you know, you, you kind of just flat out acknowledge that it's about what gets clicks and trying to understand um, how the algorithm works and that, you know, Democracy is kind of this visual data-driven thing now. Um, but yeah, also this fact that, as you say, less than 1% of your followers on TikTok are from uh, Nova Scotia. So it's, you know, it can't be considered a publicity stunt. Uh, you know, it seems to me like, and I'm just kind of like projecting on some level, but it seems like the number one thing is to raise awareness for the need, need just to, you know, participate democratically in what's happening. And then the other side seems seems to be about using this as an opportunity for like individual growth. Like you talk about looking for productive criticism and how this is a really an opportunity to kind of hone your craft. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, in a lot so of ways, that's, that's, cool. that's true. And I think, you know, as we go along to right now, there's a huge dialogue around the world that's saying, you know, people need to get involved. People need to care. People need to vote. And I think that all comes down to just basically people need to talk to each other and me being up here. I mean, people can come at me as negative as they want. And if I'm not able to respond to that with finding some sort of, you know, gold nuggets within their criticism, then the whole thing I'm doing here 
will make any sense. So I really have, although it's hard sometimes to read some of the things that people say, my whole point here is to get dialogue going. So if I can't have a conversation with someone who comes at me aggressively from the start, then really I don't learn anything. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a huge learning experience, but uh, I think there's definitely important messages that need to get out. And that's what I'm here for. And, you know, the thing to me, it's, uh, uh, you know, it shows a, a certain degree of courage in a sense. Like you've talked about this need to, and I love that metaphor of finding gold nuggets in the kind of negative feedback that sometimes you're going to bear the brunt of. Yeah. Um, you know, you've talked about how there is this mold in politics. It's raised in, in the mayoral debate in relationship to the question of why council is so white and so male. Um, and I definitely agree, right? This mold, though, like I wonder how it operates, basically in terms of, you know, maybe being a deterrent for a lot of people actually thinking that they should participate in politics and, and that kind of thing. And and so that, that to me speaks to the specific courage that you have to like be willing to learn how to effectively communicate in this high pressure situation where, you know, public communication has to be performed in a specific rigidly defined way, sort of, right? Um, and, and my question is basically like, why do you think there might be more room now for different perspectives in politics? And how do you maintain some kind of self-assurance in the face of your doubters? I mean, you've talked about the literal ridicule that you and others uh, feel when you're compelled to run for office. Like, how do you negotiate that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a balance. You know, it's hard. I mean, I already have lost a ton of friends doing this. I mean, a lot of the times it doesn't necessarily make sense to me because, uh, you know, some of the people I've I've grown up with, they'll see on their profiles, you know, they'll, they'll attack me and they'll post things about just like a personal attacks that don't really have anything to do with politics, just which is strange because it's all around the political sphere. So they'll come at me with these things and then I click their profiles and all their profiles are about advocating for change. And I'm like, okay, so you want change. But the second someone tries to bring it about, it's not the change that you want right away. I mean, obviously, as one man, I can't do a lot of things. I mean, but I can start some sort of a conversation. So now all of a sudden, the one thing that doesn't make sense to me with the criticism, although I welcome it and accept it, is all the people who advocate for change are against it more than anybody else. And that's the thing that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there's a certain hypocrisy, I think, to woke politics, as it's sometimes called, like the politics of just seeming um, alert to these kinds of political uh, issues. Like, I think on some level, that kind of politics can become just gestural. That's a term I've, I've heard used. You know, it's just a gestural thing where you're you're making the gesture, but then because you're risking far more in actually like entering into dialogues with people, maybe people you disagree with, that gestural politics is a little bit of a um, a shroud, as it were, right? Or a little bit of a a thing that you can wear online, but then you don't have to like put your money where your mouth is, to use a phrase that I think you've used in a few. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. During this it's, campaign, it's a tough thing, you know. But I mean, at the same time, like. I think there's going to be two wins for me coming out of this. Like, regardless if I win or lose, the number, the two wins are going to be number one. If more people show up to the polling stations or if the voting numbers go up, that's a huge win because that's the whole reason I started this whole thing in the first place. And number two, if I see the next election, there's more than three people running. I mean, those two things would be massive because I think yeah. the fact that yeah, there's yeah. only three people running is ridiculous. I mean, I understand that for the rest of the council positions, I think, I don't know if it's in history, but as the most people running for a councillor spot, or uh, amongst the districts, maybe in Nova Scotian history, there's a ton. There's like 80 people, I think. Wow. This is like more than ever. And uh, oh my God, don't, don't fact yeah. check me on that just just yet, but I'm no, pretty no, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but there are a lot of, 
counselors who have been incumbent for like a lot of, a number of terms who are leaving, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, I think it's there are more openings and this it's, time around. It's it's big. I mean, like, but then I guess right now the big thing with the mold is a lot of these career politicians feel they have to work their way up. Okay, if they started a small job, okay, then we have to become a counselor. Okay, after a counselor for two for uh, two terms, then we can run for mayor. Blah blah blah. No, you don't. Just as it's your right to vote, it's your right to get involved at all levels. I can walk in, fill out the right forms. I mean, it'll it'll be a pain in the ass to fill a lot of these out, but it's really in the grand scheme of things, anybody can run. So why don't they exercise the right more? And this is kind of putting a spotlight on the fact that you can and you should. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, for a lot of people in this city, uh, the election of Lindell Smith as a counselor really, um, you know, represented uh, a, a kind of glimmer of hope, right? That there were, were significant openings for, you know, uh, diverse voices. Like it's not just the fact that Lindell Smith is a, person of color, it's like the way in which he, I think, does his job itself is so representative of how you can actually, as you say, kind of maybe uh, avoid some of these, these hurdles, you know, like these established steps that people are supposed to take and actually contribute to the community in this really significant way, just through, you know, his energy. I mean, Lindell Smith's just kind of sheer energy and social media, I think, plays a role uh, in communicating that energy two people, right? It's, it's that shortcut in a sense you get, you you can obviously traditional media matters to some extent, but you know, TikTok and so on, like this is something I wanted to ask you about more specifically, like um, TikTok, obviously you've acknowledged that these platforms have been really big in in establishing your popularity. Um, But I wanted to ask more broadly about the, you know, the, the politics of platforms at a moment where you've got Donald Trump, threatening to ban TikTok, forcing the sale of TikTok. Um, you know, how do we reckon with the kind of power of these apps? And what does it mean? Like, how do you interpret Trump trying to shut the app down? Like, do you feel like it was politically motivated in retaliation for TikTokers embarrassing him at his Tulsa rally? Like, do you have any thoughts on this kind of well, thing? I, I think in a lot of ways. I mean, TikTok specifically, I mean, uh, this is just me being completely unbiased. I mean, they absolutely do listen and collect your data. I mean, there's no question about it. But then again, so does Facebook. But then again, so does Instagram. But then again, so does Twitter. I mean, all these companies connect your data. And it's not always for malicious reasons. They simply want to keep you on the app as long as possible and sell advertising to you. Like they said, it's like if, uh, well, well, I forget who said this, it's, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So essentially, they want to keep you on as long as possible. So I don't think TikTok was a malicious thing. And I do think a lot of it had to do with, uh, I guess, people making fun of Trump in a sense. But then again, he gets made fun of the same amount on Twitter. And with him, I think, or with every, everything in politics, it's so polarizing online. With social media, you're shown the things that they'll know you watch over and over again. So if, for example... Mm-hmm. If you believe in one conspiracy theory, your entire page will be filled with conspiracy theories. If you believe in, if you watch, if you start your TikTok career, you start your Instagram career, you, you start going on scrolling through and you see one Republican post and then you watch four back to back to back, the rest of the time you're on Instagram from now on will be all Republicans. So you'll never see the other side of things. And same with Democrats. You'll never see the other side. And that's why it's so divisive. Because of social media, things are so divisive, divisive in the world that, I mean, even personally, like, Sometimes it's hard for me to even go on the apps because I, I'll post a lot because, I mean, obviously, like, it's, it's a good way to get a creativity out. And I'm not a really political guy on TikTok. So 
uh, I kind of like to post to kind of get away, let, let people get away from the whole politics of it all. But I mean, even that that's being interesting. Said, yeah. yeah. Even that being said, it's hard because it, to even contribute to that world, it sometimes it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that you speak to how like you're not particularly political on TikTok. I've noticed that about your your TikTok account. And I think that just speaks to a recognition of what that app is for. I mean, it's in the same way that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uses Instagram to combine political messaging with like beauty tutorials and so on. It's a, it's about engagement. Mm. Um, and I guess like, you know, what do you think TikTok really means to this generation? Like it, it just feels like it differs from other platforms in some basic way. Is it about the, the way in which it's particularly aggressive algorithm gives you a greater opportunity for success in gaining followers or anybody can make it big in TikTok because the way their algorithm works is way different. Just a quick rundown of how it happens. Like a lot of apps, you would post something or like YouTube, you post something and you'd, you'd, you'd base it off the right people seeing it and sharing it to more and more people. Right. But with TikTok, mm-hmm. it's all about initially your video gets pushed to a pool of a hundred people. And if it does well in that pool, it gets pushed to a pool of a thousand random people and so on and so forth. It just keeps getting pushed to more and more random people. And depending on how it does, it'll get pushed out further. So really anybody can make it. And that's what's kind of fun about it. And I mean, like the reason I think I don't post political stuff is because TikTok should be a fun little escape from all the seriousness. And uh, it's important to separate those two worlds because once you combine them, there's really no going back. Yeah, it's interesting. And like the the combination of worlds seems to be a, a kind of feature of your campaign in a sense. Like you've had to answer a lot of questions about just the decision to run for mayor and deflect certain questions about whether it's like a prank or a gimmick yeah. because this is the serious world of politics. But you've been really consistent in terms of your messaging about, you know, how you're really motivated by low vo- voter turnout and the goal is to reach a younger demographic. And it seems to me you're really, you know, you're really good on this point that basically if people are talking about the election, they might begin to care more about political decision making and that might trigger this interest in democracy in general. Um, I like that line of thinking, and it reminded me of a line from the recent Paul Rudd PSA for New York State around wet mask wearing, oh, yeah, which yeah, went yeah. went viral. Like that's such a perfect example of how politics is done. I think in the age of platforms, like the whole point is to reach millennials, um, and so there's this incredible line at the center of that PSA where Rudd says, "Caring about other people is the new not caring about other people," um, and to me, like that that perfectly kind of captures something, this kind of, you know, perceived at least apathy the millennials feel toward that level of like civic participation. Um, And I just wonder, like, do you feel like these tactics of engagement using humor, using just kind of, as you say, kind of like pure escape um, is a worthwhile way of kind of chipping away at apathy or does it reinforce this kind of irony or apathy? I don't know. Or thoughts on the PSA? Any, any, yeah. Any well, general, I, I yeah. think it's hard. I mean, you're going to have, uh, here, here's the thing. I mean, putting something out like, like that is important either way because you're going to have a group of people who go, you know what, this is pretty cool. Like, I like this. I like the messaging. And you're going to have a group mm-hmm. of people who say, I hate this. Like, this is cringy. Like, why, what is this all about? Right. But they'll yeah. still talk about it. So as long as people are talking about it, then the message is working. Like, if people are talking about it, whether they love it or hate it, as long as they're interested, they're more engaged than they were before. And I think that's the whole point. So, and I think a lot of these people know that, like when they make things that are a little bit over the top, it's like, okay, some people are going to love this. Some people are going to hate this, but as long as they feel something, we're happy. Yeah. 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 It's funny how we, we, you know, place this emphasis on engagement and it doesn't even like part of that metric is never, it's not always like 
positive versus negative exactly. it's just engagement right yeah itself is a, is like valued um which i think is interesting but like and, and speaking of i guess values and and so on like um you know like the the thing that obviously i've heard consistently in your messaging is that you have a deep connection to halifax specifically um and you know i haven't uh, i'm not originally from halifax uh, i was born and raised in hamilton ontario um spent a lot of time there but i've lived here i think for about a decade and i definitely like i'm i'm also really attached to it but i find it hard sometimes to define what it is specifically that I'm that I feel attached to. What what is it about this place that makes it feel like home to you? Would you say? I think there's a, there's a few different aspects. I mean, I guess the big thing like this is gonna sound so cheesy and like such like a Nicholas Sparks notebook way to say it, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, there's one way to sum it up that kind of helps me out to think about it sometimes. Like Halifax is one of the few cities in the world that every day you can expect to run into somebody new, run into somebody you haven't seen in a long time and run into like someone you see every day. So you get that big combination. It's just big enough that you have a smorgasbord of different types of people, but you have enough time to get to know them all. So that's what really helps. It's not way too big, but it's just big enough that you don't feel trapped. And I think that's really important to have in a city. And I mean, it continues to grow, which is great because, you know, obviously I want more people to come to the city, but even the general vibe of the whole thing, like right by the sea, you know, just the air just breathes different down here. There's just little things you can't put your finger on. But I think the main thing for me is definitely just it's it's just big enough that you don't feel trapped, but just small enough to get to know everybody. And it's just a nice little sentiment. Yeah, I don't think that's too, um, you know, sentimental. That, that <laughs> yeah. I, I feel that same way. And I think a lot of people do say that about Halifax, at least the cores is, is, you know, one of its um, drawing points is the size. Um, and, you know, as a political figure, I think one of the specific challenges of trying to be a, a leader um, in this province and in, in this municipality is trying to recognize the diverse needs and different challenges of these these communities, you know. Yeah. Um, have, have you had that experience of kind of, you know, traveling through uh, Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, here's the thing that a lot of people like, I mean, people definitely like to talk about the TikTok and I think uh, as the weeks go by, I should start promoting this more myself. Uh, but here's the truth of the matter. Like I've lived in Ingramport, like in Muscadabit. Like I've lived there. I've lived in Bedford for an extended period of time. Like I've lived by St. Mary's University for an extended period of time. Like I've lived all over the city. I, I haven't been staying. Like I lived on the other side of the rotary, like uh, in like right by Spinnaker. Like I've lived in a bunch of different places. I wasn't in the same area my entire life. And that's what's important for people to know, like, I know different areas and I know the experiences you have to go through in different areas. Like I know the fact that living in Muscadah, but we need a better transit system. That's why it's a big part of what I'm doing now. I know in mm -hmm. Bedford that we need a better transit system for students to get the NSCC campus. Like I know that we need more affordable housing because I live downtown. So I think all these things coming together kind of made it ripe for this whole movement to happen for me to kind of get passionate enough about this. If I hadn't had those experiences, I don't think I would have any passion right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that sincerity comes through, you know, like in, in all the coverage that I've seen, um, that's, that's been the kind of consistent theme. And also like the thing that I appreciate about your campaign is that, you know, there is this palpable sense that like the local context matters, that we need to really have some sense of unity or solidarity. Um, but then you're, you're also able to speak to more global crises, right? Like you don't shy away from talking about the climate crisis, 
stressing that, you know, we're vulner vulnerable here too. The wildfires that are taking place in Oregon and California are visible in Quebec. Uh, sea level rise in the next 10 years is projected to be as much as eight feet. I mean, like we are not, we are, no, we are not in insane. a position where it's we can insane. assume that we can just keep going the way we're going. Right. So it's, I like that, you know, you're bringing that into the conversation because I think even at the local level, we need to also be thinking globally um, about some of those issues. Yeah, I think everyone um, in the world needs to address that differently. And I think Halifax, mm -hmm. because, you know, we're right on the sea, it's scary. It, it's just scary when you take a step back and think about it. I mean, politically or not, like you take a step back and think about the environment, something needs to happen. And it's just mm -hmm. people keep developing new things and they keep finding new ways to package bottles. Oh, fantastic. Well, we're going to be gone in 10 years if you don't do something right now. So we need to really get going on that. Yeah, like the and what's scary now is this feeling of um, like there's no alternative, like that the system as it is is too big to fail, and yet it's too dangerous to continue. And so, like, what do we do? Yeah. Um, and so I think like hope the hope is that um, millennials through some form of like political awakening, uh, Greta Thunberg, I don't know what, um, will have a renewed kind of uh, investment in this, you know in global democracy, basically, um, and, and fight the stagnation, basically. And we, again, we see this at the local level. The Halifax, Halifax Examiner noted that you're entering a race where, according to the only public polling done so far, the incumbent mayor, Mike Savage, has the support of almost 90% of decided voters. This is unbelievable. So, like, you're not concerned about winning, so that doesn't <laughs> depress you necessarily. It's not something you're going to be discouraged by. Yeah does suggest a certain kind of stagnation. I mean, it also suggests people have a lot of faith in Mike Savage, but, you know, the fact that they're the only alternative is Matt Whitman, this swing to the right wing, um, suggests, you know, we need more people participating in the conversation, right? Um, I think this is, this is part of what's going on. And, and I guess I wonder, like, how do you see your, your role here? Like, do you feel like you are complicating the conversation? What are you getting out of it personally? And how would you feel if it ended up that you played kind of a spoiler in in favor of Matt Whitman over the incumbent Mike Savage? Well, I think here's the truth. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think I'm going to take votes away from either one of them. I think they both have very firm bases of people who believe in them, and they're very passionate about both of them. Uh, I think I'll add new voters in. That's a big thing. I think I'm going to add a lot more mm -hmm. voters in, hopefully. I mean, whether it be for Matt, Mike, or me, uh, I think we're going to add new voters in, which is very important. But I think just like I was saying before, if during the next election I see more people running, that's like a huge thing to get out of it. And I think that should happen because, I mean, it's ridiculous that only three people are running for mayor. Like, I understand we have to put a lot more pressure on the provincial government so we can have more power as a municipality. But, I mean, that being said, it, we just can't have these numbers again. Like, it's embarrassing. It, it, it truly is embarrassing to only have three people running for mayor in a municipality this big. Yeah, and especially since there are a number of like you would think at a time of um, that is so pivotal, right? Where the, there are all of these competing crises, and it seems like the ground is kind of disintegrating under our feet. Like there are these structures that we relied on that it feels like are not stable. Uh, that there would be more of a concern with you know politics at this official level where decisions are officially made. Um, you know, it's it's a particularly politically charged time, and so I would hope. I hope that, you know, you, you entering the race does trigger some moment of like identification where young people, especially, you know, you're like 15 years younger than me, um, 
feel like they can do this, right? Like with it, that it's within their grasp, um, that they don't just have an opinion. They might actually have a, a potential platform. And like, you know, one of the central issues in this election, one of the things I wanted to bring up with you, a particularly cont- contentious thing, is the relationship we have to history in this province and more broadly. Like I've been interested in how we're currently, this has come up and how divisive it has been, you know, like, especially with Matt Whitman, I think trying to kind of drive a wedge, but like social movements like Black Lives Matter, indigenous rights groups have successfully started to target monuments to what I consider a white supremacist colonial history. Um, You know, you got Whitman, you know, he's really against the removal of these statues. He even said at one point he wants to put up more statues that he, you know, we need to not live in the past. And yet he wants to put up more statues. Like this is, this is the crazy thing. Yeah, he's a wild it's, card. He, he's a wild yeah. card. But like, and also the reporting on it, 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 it also, it's a bit problematic, you know, like I thought that the Halifax magazine really kind of did you a, a, an injustice to some extent when it said that, it was hard to take a candidate without a real policy platform very ser- seriously. Well, yeah, it's crazy. Just, like just, you said, just, I don't. Just to, yeah, just to say this too at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll of course put like a more defined platform out next week because we have a big release. But I mm-hmm. put out all of my opinions. I've said things over and over again, and if people can't cut through the weeds to read those, it's just ridiculous. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. traditionally, people have had come out with big platforms at the start of their campaign. You know. They know exactly what they want to do. Mike Savage, they know exactly what they want to do. Okay, well, guess what? That hasn't worked and people are bored. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we, like, it just doesn't work. So if you want to have the traditional way of doing things, fantastic. You get up there and run. If you want to, if you want to keep doing traditional, but personally, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll adhere to them and I'll, I'll put out my platform, but I've said what it is. I want better affordable housing solutions. I want better transit systems. I want better environment environmental solutions and i'll say it again over and over again and if they need me to put it in some nice little two sentence document just so they can read it for the ten thousand time okay so be it but i just think it's important that when someone comes after me for not having a platform it's like okay you know what i've i've said my opinion on everything i don't understand what the problem is here i really don't yeah i i don't know who wrote that article in halifax magazine but i thought it was really condescending like the line, his platform is literally, I don't care who you vote for, just felt so dismissive. Um, it's not dealing with the actual texture of what you're bringing to the conversation, the motive. Uh, you know, it's not dealing with democracy any, as any sort of radical idea. It's just saying, this kid's a joke. It's really callous yeah. in a weird way. Um, but on this question, though, like, I just thought that was most of the coverage has been fair but i thought that was yeah i don't know to to be fair most of the coverage in the media has been really like i've been okay with like absolutely fine with it and even the negative ones haven't been way too bad and you know like to me it just suggests a resistance to new ideas and new ways of doing politics like and and in in some ways both of the other candidates in their you know in their own ways reflect that kind of entrenched way of doing politics you know like mike savage is a moderate centrist. He's kind of unflappable. Whitman, as you say, is a bit of a wild card. He's been, you know, he's used social media in controversial ways. Yeah. But both of them, I think, still represent a kind of established way of doing things. Like Whitman's model is a little bit of the populist model that Trump uses on some level. Like there's a lot of dog whistle racism, I, w- I, say, I would say. The fact that he just randomly says he's happy that the Cornwallis Street name wasn't changed to New Horizons. 
I mean, what's wrong with New Horizons? Don't we want, don't <laughs> there, we want New Horizons? There are certain things that I think he just kind of thinks and puts out, which don't, don't go wrong. One-on-one, Matt Whitman is incredibly well-spoken one-on-one, and he's very he's been very nice to me, so I have to give him kudos for that. But I think sometimes he just kind of puts things out in the world without really thinking about them, which is uh, it's definitely uh, an interesting way to live, is what I'll say. Yeah, whereas like Savage is the opposite. He's like far, far more controlled. And yet, you know, I would say he still reflects that really entrenched way of thinking where he's talking about Black Lives Matter protesters toppling statues and, and saying like, that's not the right way to do it. He says Halifax had a respectful process focused on education. And like, I agree that's that's in some ways like uh, more comfortable for people, but I don't think it was right for Savage to kind of go after you know, protesters in Quebec taking down the statue yeah. of John A. McDonald. Yeah. To me, like that is a sincere expression of rage that comes out of just a refusal um, to accept these forms of structural disadvantages. Yeah, I right? think he's very, he's very polished in a way. Like once mm-hmm. again, he's a great politician and I think he's handed a lot of things in the city, like this COVID response. Obviously we're one of the safest places in the world, so he's done a great job. But all that being said, I do think there's a, uh, a little bit of a je ne sais quoi that doesn't always sit right with these career politicians. And it's not him. It's a, it's a lot of people, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of promises that get made that never happen. I mean, eight years ago when he was elected, we heard about better affordable housing solutions. We're going to have better affordable housing. And there's a specific act I have to find. So I'm just talking yeah. about it the other day where we're going to have, we're for sure going to have better affordable housing solutions in Halifax. And another bill was passed that says, okay, uh, now we can regulate places differently. So if you're a small business that, you know, is in downtown Halifax, you don't, you'll pay the amount of tax that comes in. You don't have to like just pay based on where you are. Like it's ridiculous for a small little tie shop to uh, pay two times as much taxes as Costco. You know what I mean? So like there are regulations that say these things should change and yet it's been eight years and nothing has. We've just seen more buildings go up. So I think there's, he's, although he's a great man, I think there's little things that definitely need to be worked on. It's because nobody can be perfect. And I, that's why I liked the uh, the element that you brought to the mayoral debate, right? Where you were, you know, it seemed to me that you were really respectful toward the other two candidates. You know what I mean? Like there are moments where you're complimenting Savage on his handling of the pandemic. But then I think one of the most revealing moments was when you asked for information on the success of the Bridging the Gap program, uh, this program for keeping educated young people in the province. Like that element of humility in a sense is uh, to me what's missing in politics and the thing that makes what you're doing so relatable you know it says like these are things that i value that i think are not getting done i'm here to insist that they get done um but not in any sort of like um uh you know overly aggressive or like personal way right to me that's a really productive way to communicate i think it's important too i mean thank you (laughs) thank you very much because it's important i think I mean, a lot of my life, I, I was the guy who's like, no, I know this. I know that. It's like just no way to live. Like there's no mm-hmm. growth as a person if I if I think I know everything. So I always go in expecting to be the stupidest person in the room. I think my, uh, my mom told me that. So uh, Yeah, be the rock, about. not the river. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, be, fair. Be, somebody once told me like it's better to be charmed than charming. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like, And yet there were moments I thought where you – again, like really productively uh, tried to distinguish yourself from them on certain issues, right? Like I mentioned, you're extremely adamant about the need for action on the climate crisis. Um, But then the other thing that you've mentioned is affordable housing. I I read in the Halifax Magazine, 
um, you know, kind of not particularly fair article that you were, you know, strong on this issue of a living wage. That's something that I've spoken with Elaine Power about on this podcast. Um, she's a researcher who's focused on, um, you know, guaranteed basic income, which is like, in fact, statistically a thing that most Canadians support. Um, and to me, like, this is something that is just not often part of the conversation in these official campaigns. So for me, you know, this is, again, why I find your your campaign so, re, you know, kind of refreshing is that, you know, you're openly favoring these kinds of uh, policy initiatives. And thus, you know, it seems to me the uh, the point of, of the whole thing is to kind of normalize this as part of a political conversation, you know. Do you see an opening during the COVID-19 pandemic for making these kinds of policy issues a normal, you know, natural part of the conversation? I think, yeah, I think there really is, uh, there needs to be a lot of dialogue about it. I think right now in COVID, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the city to be focused on, okay, how are we going to bring new people in? Like, what can we do to grow the city? No, no, no. Until this is resolved, I mean, although it's a pain in the ass, until this is resolved, we need to figure out how to make the city as as, as you know, well run as possible for the people who live here now. We need to make sure people here and now get back on their feet. We need to make sure that people who live in Halifax right now can stay up, can stay uh, affording their apartments. They can stay working. We need to make sure that happens in this city. We have to stop working on how we're going to develop new buildings for people who want to move here. Right now is not the time to focus on the people who want to come in. There will be time for that next year, you know, when things are resolved, hopefully, the year after when things are resolved. But right now, it's important we just focus on making the city as comfortable as possible for the people who are having a hard time. I think that's something people need to really focus on. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Uh, you know, you're going to need lots of strength and stamina, I'm sure, to get through the next little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, um, fair. But, you know, it's nice of you to talk to me. The, you know, the, what, the thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, again, looking at this debate on YouTube, the comments in response to, you know, what you're saying during the debate were like, and this is extraordinary for the internet, they were like all positive. There were lots of comments about like, he's better than Whitman, you know, go Max. Uh, yeah, the I was city's surprised. stuck in the I past. I was surprised. Yeah. People saying the city's stuck in the past and that we need you, all this stuff. So it's, it's it bodes well, I think. And so maybe it is about this kind of pandemic moment we're in, but there is, I think, this new desire for pro- political ideas and, you know, it matters that Mayor Savage said during that debate that there's no guidebook for handling our specific circumstance we're in now because it is unprecedented. Um, and I wonder, do you think it's allowing us to think outside of these familiar molds, basically, that we place politics in? Are we able to kind of broaden our thinking about what politics means at this moment? I think so. I think now that COVID comes into play, I mean, it's a terrible pandemic, 100%, and it's really destroying a lot of our economies. But the one benefit I think comes from it is it really makes us think on our feet and think fast. I mean, mm-hmm. we have to make new policies. We have to make new agreements. We have to understand where, how the city is going to be run. Like it, 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 it makes our improvisational skills uh, better tenfold, like by, by a mile. So I think that's the one thing that's really important is we're learning how to adapt to situations that happen right now, which can only benefit us in the long run. So I think I think that's an important thing, skill that we're learning how to hone in right now, is how to better uh, take, take the punches and roll with them. So. Yeah, I think you're right. I think adaptation is definitely, you know, something that politically we should pay attention to, right? Like our ability to adapt structurally to these problems. 
Um, but then also the thing I read recently um, in an upcoming guest's book, uh, Alexis Shotwell, is this, you know, this idea that we should come out of the pandemic with a greater sense of the importance of care, like caring for each other. Um, I think that's ho hopefully another outcome. But um, anyway, remains to be seen. But I do appreciate you making the time. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.